as a, as a young boy, we used to, my mates, we'd get slingshots and try to knock birds out, to our shame, uh, birds out of the branches. I don't know whether I'd take on a big fella like Goliath with one of my slingshots. And uh, from our Sunday school days, we'll have this image of a, of a little shepherd boy going out to face the, the giant and he uses his little slingshot to take him out. Well, sometimes there's a bit of embellishment going on from what we read in the scriptures to how we think of it. Uh, And I'm trusting that what is a very familiar story that we might approach with fresh eyes. Um, Last week we heard of the secret anointing of David by Samuel and then how David ended up serving King Saul by playing the lyre and becoming his armour bearer. Carrying some pretty heavy armour there. Saul had no idea that God was setting the scene for David to one day become the next king of Israel. But how does God bring this temporary and little-known servant in the royal house to the place where all Israel notices him? The answer is Goliath. Out of relative obscurity, uh, you know, yes, Saul um, is told who David is, son of Jesse, but by the end of chapter 17, and we didn't read it, after the great victory of, of Goliath being destroyed, killed, uh, Saul says, whose son is this? Whose son is he? As though he doesn't know. Now, the scholars have all sorts of problems and, and they think this whole chapter has actually happened earlier on in the story. <clears throat> but then we, we have this verse in uh, verse 15. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So I suggest that, uh, that Saul... It went in one ear and out the other when he heard about who Dave, where David had come from. This is son of Jesse. He just was glad this young man was now in his royal house playing the liar when he was being tormented in his mind by the spirit. And uh, when we come to the end of chapter 17 and he's saying, whose son is he? Because he's promised a daughter of his to the one who kills this giant. He's now very interested in knowing where his family comes from. That's my own take on it. You might come at it differently. But as we wrestle with this scripture, uh, we need to realise that David is still um, coming from obscurity. He's new in the royal house. Um, Saul appreciates him, even says loves him because of what he's doing. But he's an unknown person. And Israel has no idea that this young man David is going to deliver them on the great day of battle against the Philistines. So we have this scene, quite a scene. The huge armies of Philistines gathered on uh, the side of a mountain and the army of Israel encamped on the side of an adjacent mountain with a great valley between them 
under their camp there and every day they come out uh, and stand facing one another, ready for battle. But nothing happens because the Philistines have come up with a great tactic. Uh, we have Putin coming up with great tactics at the moment. Again and again, well, the Philistines did the same thing and they, they have this plan. They send out the biggest fella to intimidate Israel. Now, Goliath's a big brute of a man, no question. Uh, six cubits and a span. They're not sure what, a, what span measurement, but they're saying between eight foot five inches to nine foot two. Now, back in the 1940s in America, there was a, a man eight foot nine inch. This is about 256 to 280 centimetres high. Huge. His army weighed 57 kilograms. His spearhead alone weighed seven kilograms. So both he and his army are seriously impressed and depressed, the army of Israel. And when you read those verses where the author of Samuel outlines all the armour and what it weighs and his height, it's clear that he wants the reader to grasp that this guy is impressive. And he has a shield bearer who goes before him. You don't often see that in the Sunday school pictures. <clears throat> and that shield bearer would have been an average height Philistine, but compared to this giant of a man, he would have looked like a boy. That's the shield bearer. So Goliath is called the champion, a champion. The word literally means middleman or mediator. So he's coming out as the representative of the Philistines to broker a deal. And the deal is this. As he stands and he shouts out across the valley, and they can hear him, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Why risk all your men when you could just choose one of your men <coughs> to fight me? And all that man must do is kill me and the Philistines will become your servants. But if I kill him, you will serve us. That sounds reasonable, fair, doesn't it? Not really, <laughs> because they had no man that could size up against Goliath. Now, Israel is in deep trouble straight away because rather than looking and listening to God for a battle strategy and to trust him for their deliverance, they were letting their enemy determine the rules of engagement and the Philistines were no fools. They were cleverly using psychological warfare and visual intimidation to create fear and terror in the minds and hearts of the Israelites. I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. And all the Israelites know that whoever thinks they can beat this fella is going to be eaten alive. What did the Lord say to Samuel in the previous chapter? Don't judge by outward appearance. And here we have all Israel, including Saul, their king, being tricked into focusing on one Philistine, an impressive one, but only one of them. 
You see, the clever ploy of the enemy is sometimes to put out the big guns out front and get us to focus on them in order to overwhelm us with fear and despair. Goliath was not the whole truth of the Philistine army. They weren't all giants. But by putting him out there every day for 40 days, the whole army of Israel was held in bondage to fear. Because they were judging the outcome by what would happen with the big fella. If he won, we've lost. I suspect that that's what can happen to us. It certainly happens to me at times. Satan will put something before us constantly in order to cause our hearts to fail. It's bigger than us. And it holds us in fear and defeat because we are judging by appearance by what we see outwardly and not by faith. That's a clever tactic to hold when the enemy holds us in slavery to fear by focusing our minds on that one huge intimidating problem that is threatening to undo us. I'm not talking about a little problem like, I don't know, dirty spark plugs and you can't start the engine in the morning. I'm talking about something that's happening by which... The kingdom of darkness is holding you in defeat. What foolishness. Instead of focusing our eyes firmly on the greatness of our God, we give way in despair, stunned by the sheer size of what we're up against. When we stop living by faith and move to living by sight, everything gets out of proportion. Everything. We may be facing big problems, but in the whole scheme of things, the biggest threats are nothing before the presence of the living God. Goliath was as vulnerable as any other human being. He was just bigger. He bled like any other human being. He was not God. If only Israel knew this. If only Saul, their king, was able to lead them in true faith. Instead, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And you see, we can, like that, lose sight of the true authority and power of Christ. He's our conquering king. When we take our eyes off him and we become fixated on what we're up against, we're in big trouble. We give way to catastrophizing. I'm done for. There's no way out. There's no hope. We may as well give, give up. And then at that moment, we know we're living by what we can see with our eyes and not by faith in the living God who, by his Christ, has overcome the world. We need need to have our eyes open, a revelation of Christ. Before the political and military power of this world, Jesus seemed weak and powerless. He was crucified in weakness But by his cross, he utterly defeated the kingdom of darkness. He broke Satan's weapons. He delivered us from the power of the enemy. Guilt and fear replace with peace and joy. You see, Israel needed one to do for them what they couldn't do for themselves. One who wouldn't be afraid to take on 
the enemy because he trusted in the living God. And that's where David enters the story. Told in verse 12, David, son of the Ephratite of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse. He just turns up. There's no great description of his size or his army. He has none. He's just the son of Jesse. And uh, as the youngest of sons, he wasn't even there. He was back feeding his father's sheep. Going back from Saul to the farm from time to time, and there he is. And it's, that's where his father speaks to him about visiting his three older brothers who are on the front line. And when he comes, he's visiting a demoralised and terrified people of God who have no idea that the means of God's deliverance has just turned up. Now, I don't know, after 40 days of Goliath coming out each day, <coughs> morning and evening, challenging the Israelites. Those taunts must have worn uh, the people down. I know they wear me down sometimes. I'm sure they were having nightmares about Goliath during their sleep. Everyone hoping that the next fellow might volunteer, but not me. They all felt the sentence of death hanging over them. And then David turns up, with some grain and loaves for his brothers, some cheese for their commander. And he, as he turns up, he hears the taunt of Goliath at that very moment. And he sees how the men of Israel fall away in fear. And they spoke to him of how he was defying Israel. But David saw him as the one who was defying God. Can you see there? Their concern was their well-being, safety. David's concern was the reputation of God. What shall we be done for the man who kills this Philistine, who takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, these are actually the very first words we hear from David in the whole of 1 Samuel. A great introduction. He wasn't intimidated by Goliath. He was jealous for the name of God. And he saw Goliath as a mere man. A big one, but still just a man who's waving his big fist, not just at the Israelite army, but in the face of God. Israel was allowing itself to be held hostage by the threats of this giant instead of standing firm. In the greatness of God. Whoever or whatever holds us in bondage to fear brings discredit to the name of God. It makes God look small in the eyes of others. It's interesting, David's biggest struggles with the powers of darkness that day don't begin with Goliath out there on the battlefield, they begin with his elder brother. Eliab has a go at him. Why isn't he back at the farm looking after the sheep? You know, you've just come, you've got an evil heart, you've just come to watch the battle. You're trying to make people feel guilty because of Goliath and you want to 
stir them up so that they volunteer and then you'll watch the drama. That's what a liar is. This is an older brother syndrome, isn't it? He thinks, I know what you're like. <laughs> he thought he knew the motives of his younger brother's heart, but who knows David's heart? Who knows, who knows David's heart? God. What have I done now? Was it not but a word? Literally, can I even say anything? Sounds like a younger brother. You know, everything, every time David ever said anything, Eliab would jump on him. Uh, maybe Eliab was feeling guilty because he wasn't willing to stand. But the wonderful thing is he doesn't allow this personal attack on his character to distract him from what God had put in his heart. He cared more about God's reputation than his own. If we are jealous for God's glory, we will face opposition from others. Sometimes some of the most painful opposition might come to those closest to us. Jesus was judged by his brothers, wasn't he? They thought he was mad at times. They didn't believe in him until after the resurrection. Neither David nor Jesus allowed the cruel and unjust judgments of others to deflect them from God's will, and neither should we. So Saul hears what David is saying. He sends for him. David says, let no man's heart fail because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight. He makes it clear. He is the one willing to go. A Saul doesn't share that confidence. You're but a youth. This fellow's been a man of war since his youth. He actually, um, it's not David's size that Saul's questioning. It's his lack of experience in battle. So I suspect when he says he's a youth, he's a young man. Abner, who leads a coup against uh, Saul later on, is referred to as a young man too. Same term. Interesting. So maybe he wasn't as young as we thought he was. Uh, At this point, Saul doesn't see David as a threat and he actually cares about him. He said, take my armour. How would you put Saul's armour? Remember, Saul's a big man. Not as big as Goliath, but he's a big man. He was tall. How would you put armour like that on a boy, a little boy? Doesn't make sense, does it? Remember, David, in in just a, a short time, is going to lead the Israelite army in routing the Philistines. No, I think we've got to sort of break out of that. What's going on here is that we've got a young man who's not a soldier, and he's, he's young, but he's not a soldier, and so no one thinks of him as being ready to take on anyone like Goliath or to even be there on the battleground. And yet Saul, who knows him, as someone who's ministered to him through his music, Um, who's helped him with his armour, says, try this on. He puts it on, he says, no, because it's not, I haven't tested it. I've never never fought anything in armour like this. That's why, not because it didn't fit. And he tells Saul, look, I've faced both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, because they didn't come off too well. We're not told how he struck the lion and bear. I suspect he used the sling. 
and then later on probably another weapon to knock them out when they tried to get up again. But if we believe that David was a young, an amazing young man to have the strength to kill lions and bears, we'd be given the wrong impression. The whole point of David's argument is that it's the Lord who delivered him from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. In other words, he knew that without God's power with him, he would not have been able to kill those wild animals. And if God was with him in that situation, he would be with him when he faced this giant. David knew the reality of God's power to deliver him from death. He had experienced it again and again. Can I just share, in my life I had some interesting experiences. Once uh, jumped into the water down at Cape Jervis to, to rescue a guy who'd come off his motorbike behind the big the boat that was moored there, the philandra. And uh, when we got out, the captain said, he was pale, he said, I gave the order to shut the engines off because you guys should have been killed. They put the, the propeller in reverse and we would have been sucked straight out and we would have been cut up in moments. He'd forgotten that only moments before because it un- was unusually calm that night. He'd actually told them to turn the engine off. Something that would never normally happen. I woke up the next morning and the sky was a bit bluer. (laughs) The grass was a bit greener because I knew that God had spared me from dying the night before. Over in America, I was in the court case because uh, that fellow disappeared in New Zealand in a similar way and uh, hadn't turned up and his wife was trying to get a huge insurance claim from Lloyds of London and they took me over to give evidence and I was feeling quite guilty that my evidence was stopping this widow allegedly widow she wasn't from receiving a huge payout huge payout and I went for a drive and and I was really feeling quite I had to give evidence the next day and I knew the the southern lawyer was as slippery as anything was going to give me a hard time did I really see what I thought I saw because the whole thing was fraud from beginning to end. He was trying to fake his death at Cape Jervis and later in New Zealand. But did I really see it? Doubts came and I felt quite overwhelmed with guilt and fear. Went for a drive up the Mississippi and at a restaurant I met an American couple and they introduced themselves to me. And what are you doing here? I told them I was in the court. Oh, is it this person? Yes. Oh, I'm a friend of the mother. Do you know he's tried it before? And she told me of another story, how he tried to fake his death in the Mississippi River for insurance payout. And the next day I went into that courtroom as bold as anything, introduced to the poor widow, and I had no fear because God had shown me the truth through an amazing coincidence. I just want to say... You walk a journey of faith, you will experience God's deliverance in all kinds of ways. David had seen that many times in his life before. And if that's how God could deliver me there, 
then he can deliver me here. Yes, slightly bigger problem. But God is bigger still. So Saul, King Saul said, sure, the Lord be with you. My arm is not going to help. But Saul too knew the living God. He just wasn't living in obedient faith and trust at that point. So here David goes out to confront Goliath and all he has is his staff, his sling and five smooth stones he finds in a creek nearby. Uh, Slings, not a little boy's sling like I had. In Judges 2015 we read that 700 of Benjamin's, the tribe of Benjamin, who were left-handed, each of them could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Slings were a serious weapon that Israel had used in many battles before. And David wasn't a trained soldier, but he had plenty of target practice out there looking after the sheep. So that what he had was a, potentially a lethal weapon. You... It'd be useful if you didn't want to get into the range of someone with a sword. You can take him out. Literally. Take him out with that sling. But David's confidence was not in the slingshot. It was in God's power to deliver Goliath into his hands. The battle was the Lord's. That's what Israel needed to learn. That's what we need to learn. You see, when the Philistines saw that David was only a young man, fresh-faced, not a hardened soldier, he looked down on him with contempt. He felt insulted, incensed, that they should set out such a young man. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And he cursed him. He'd feed David to the birds and beasts of the field. And all he could see was David coming at him with a staff. I suspect he had no idea that David had the slingshot in his back pocket. And anyway, who would come out with a slingshot when Goliath is so fully protected with a huge helmet of bronze protecting his head? It'd be useless to do any damage. And yet David is not frightened for a moment. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head and I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the bird, not just you, but the whole army to the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you, all of you, into my hands. What did God tell? Has God ever spoken to you and said, this is what's going to happen. You don't have to be afraid. That's what David heard. It wasn't just Goliath. He was a man who prayed and listened. He wouldn't have acted if God had not spoken to him. And he knew that he was not just going to defeat Goliath, but the whole Philistine army would be routed that day. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle and he reached into his bag. He took out the, he slung it 
struck the Philistine on the forehead, the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face forward to the ground. Now I suspect the Goliath's underestimation of David, his arrogance really, defeated him. Because when David approached him with a staff, he felt no threat. And I think it's possible he didn't even have his helmet on. His armour bearer may well have been carrying that still. And when David ran to meet him, he would have had little time to reconsider whether he needed such protection. Now, that's just my thought there. Uh, Spurgeon comes up with another suggestion. He thought that Goliath at that point probably lifted his visor to get a better look at his unworthy opponent. But either way, that giant's forehead was exposed in a way that no one expected. You see... David went with a slingshot, not knowing how that would work when faced with a man in full armour. But if God gave him that instruction, that's what he would do. And that's why he knew that God had delivered him and delivered Israel. Someone said this was a whole new experience for Goliath. Nothing like that had entered his head before. (laughs) And we know how it finishes. David runs and using Goliath's own sword takes his head off. And the Philistines, seeing their champion dead, they run for their lives. They're not prepared to keep their deal, are they? Don't trust desperate leaders. They won't keep their word. In one moment, they're terrified of their enemy. The next, Israel is exulting in God's victory, taking on the enemy without fear, all the way to Gath. And verse 50 is the significant one. So David prevailed over the Philistine with all his armour, with a sling and with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. David did have a weapon. God does bless means, often all sorts of means, to bring deliverance. But it is not the means that guarantees deliverance. It is God who brings the victory. If we trust in what we bring to the battle rather than trusting in God, then we will sooner or later be confronted with someone with a bigger weapon, won't we? Can you see that? I loved uh, the movie Crocodile Dundee where Crocodile Dundee meets that young streetwise kid who comes out to rob him with a flick knife and Crocodile Dundee slowly brings out his weapon. He says, that's not a knife, this is a knife. (laughs) And he pulls out that monster of a knife. You see, it's not about having bigger weapons, bigger resources. It's about having a bigger God. David was the only Israelite who at that point was willing to stake his life on God's claim to be their true deliverer. Saul had failed to uphold God's fame and reputation. David did not fail. And there's a sense in which we need to live lives that demonstrate the saving power of God. If all that we ever do can be explained by our own ability 
and cleverness and resources, then have we really demonstrated that the living God makes any difference in our lives? Someone said, you know, what do we do? Do we just trust God or do we act, you know? Did David just have to go out there and stand there and know that God would deliver him? Or did he have to sling the, the stone? And the answer is yes. <laughs> we need to act if we don't act. Will anyone know that there's a living God in the world? But in our acting, we need to know that of ourselves, we cannot do this. It will not go well. It's because we trust in the deliverance of God that our action will bring out the result that God has planned. Wonderful to see the Israelites emboldened. Are we emboldened by the victory of Christ? No one thought Christ would beat the giant that he was facing. Christ said that now will the prince of this world be cast down. But what happened? Jesus was crucified. He was defeated. The power of this world, the religious powers, the political powers, the power of darkness appeared to reign over the Holy One of God and the disciples fled. Was he beaten? Not so. When Jesus rose from the dead, there was a great shout in heaven. The king has conquered by the weakness of that cross. In that cross, he crushed the head of the evil one. He destroyed his power to hold all of us in slavery to our fear of death and guilt in a strange way, just as David took the sword of Goliath, Christ took the great weapon of Satan, death itself, and by death he put death to death to free us from the fear of death. He came and defeated humanity's Goliath, the curse, sin, the devil, and now through him we are more than conquerors. We have a gospel to declare. You know, it might look weak. We don't have worldly weapons. We have weapons of divine power, faith, prayer, forgiveness, kindness, overcoming evil by doing good. They look weak. And we have this weak gospel about a crucified Messiah who's conquered the world. A salvation that can set people free. And the powers of evil can roar and threaten. But in the end, one little word, according to Luther, will fell him. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him.
Christ has defeated Goliath once and for all. I was praying before the service that maybe the Lord would give us just something of the victory. And then I thought, no, no, no. I prayed that God might give us a revelation of the whole victory, of the total defeat and destruction of evil and of the prince of this world and of our guilt and of death so that nothing can separate us from the love of God. If God be for us, who can be against us? Oh, plenty of people, plenty of things. But not effectively, because even if they kill you, you've won. We will be raised with him. Is that the faith that we have? And if we do, we have the faith of David in our hearts. But we'll have it, not because we're courageous little shepherd boys, but because we've met the one, the conquering king, Christ. Crucified in weakness but now reigning in great power and we're trusting him so that the world might know that there is a living God. Our dear Father, your, your word brings wonderful truth to our hearts when we're willing to listen and when it's combined with faith A new spring comes into our step and, 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 and we know, Father, the burden rolling off. Lord, you know the enemy seeks to devour, to destroy, to divide, to hold us in terror. Thank you, dear Father, that we look to Christ who is Lord over life and death. And we are in him and we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so, Father, may that wonderful victory come home to our hearts this day. May we know that in Christ alone we stand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.